On today's episode of the Culture Vacuum Podcast, DC Comics is back in the news, and we review the Cloverfield Paradox, as well as Devilman Crybaby, now on Netflix, and Michael gives his thoughts on the Grammy Awards, so sit back, relax, and get sucked in. Welcome to episode 15 of the Culture Vacuum Podcast. I am your host, Samuel Polay. With me, as always, is my co-host, Michael Watts. How is it going? This is the first time we have done this. Yeah, we we definitely haven't recorded this. We definitely didn't fuck it up the first time, yeah, Michael. We definitely, yeah, we definitely didn't record a whole episode, and then Michael thought he was losing audio and then in in the process warped his entire end and also lost parts of it. Yeah, Michael. I'm I'm smart. I'm not I love me dad. <laughs> uh no, so we we should say we've 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 already there's a whole episode you'll never hear, but it's okay cuz I think it's kind of bad. Yeah, it was it was it's for the best I think overall. Yeah. You know. I like I liked the news bit we did because I think we have that down to a but like we forgot to talk about things we wanted to talk about. It was just I don't know. Yeah, well, but you know what? That's what second chances are for, Samuel. And that's that's what yeah. we're here to but do. I, but I want to start this podcast out by saying that uh, Pro Tools. What what are you doing? What are you doing, Pro Tools? <laughs> it was interesting because I was talking to my roommate about it, and I was like. I don't know if it's just, like, buggy or if it's just I don't, like, get it or whatever. And he was like, well, it's definitely not buggy because Pro Tools is very much, like, the standard for audio editing. Oh, it is. I, it's weird because, like, when I was looking at some jobs, like Vox Media, who owns The Verge, Vox, Eater, SB Nation, ton of websites, every job they have in podcasting requires you to be proficient in Pro Tools. And I'm like, what? Why? Yeah, I don't know. It was just like, I think probably what it is, the the most likely scenario is that it's just too complicated for my simple, simple, stupid brain. Yeah, wambulance. Uh, yeah, wamb- wamble, wamble, wamble. So that's also yesterday's podcast had a, it had a high frequency of wambulances going by, which we have to stop because Michael doesn't have a soundproof studio in his apartment, which yep. is fine. Cause those I, have are- a, I have a very much sound sound uh non-proof uh apartment in new york is what i have you have a so. sound philic apartment yeah that is legitimately a block away from the nearest hospital so it's great great if you yeah. hurt yourself bad for podcasting oh. oh yeah very convenient for for practical safety reasons but for podcasting not so much yeah no so like yeah what michael was recording on is uh we the amps that we use for our mics comes with a free copy of pro tools which is a very expensive audio suite uh it turns out not great for podcasting mm, or at least not no. great it's not great for recording audio into it might be great for you record the audio on another device and then import it into pro tools but it's not right. great for taping into which is what we needed 
So now he's using Audacity, which is free, and it's what every podcaster uses. So it's fine. And and much more simple. Yeah. It's just... Less buttons. I know. I, <laughs> I, I look at Pro Tools, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what all of these buttons do. Yeah. I don't, but, uh... I don't use Audacity because it looks ugly, and they haven't like made a version that's optimized for retina screens on Macs, which makes me angry, but it's fine. Whatever. It's a free software. Use... Highly recommend Audacity, but I have a Mac, so I get GarageBand, which is awesome. But let's let's get right back into the news. Michael. <laughs> again. Again. Yes. You know, we might have some more thoughts. doesn't matter. Yeah, no. I mean, here's the thing is they they don't know. Yeah. They, they don't know what, what our thoughts are, so. I could have yeah. added. There is a story. There is a story that broke last night, which, okay. was, which is unmashable. I'm going to bring it up right now, and I can cut around this because I'm the editor. But the the story is that okay. So as as you may know, Zack Snyder left Justice League. The story was that he he left because tragically his daughter killed herself, and that's why he had to leave Justice League. A story dropped on Mashable last night that Zack Snyder actually didn't leave Justice League. He was fired, and what Warner Brothers was waiting for something to to happen so that they could release the story and instead his daughter killed herself and then they use that as the cover. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. That's fucked up. Here's yeah, so here's the first line. Zack Snyder primary engine this is on mashable.com. They broke this last night. Zack Snyder, primary engineer of the DC Comics movie universe since Man of Steel, whose creative vision has been polarizing to say the least will take a significantly smaller role in the franchise going forward as his wife, producer Deborah Snyder, Mashable, has learned. So the the story, yeah, the story goes on to just iterate all the troubles with Justice League uh, that he actually was removed. He was removed from it because they didn't like his visual style, the issues with uh, the issues with the universe. It's a very there's a lot of details in it. But it's good to know that at least uh, Warner Brothers saw the same movies we did because they also talk about that they're <laughs> they're not happy with David Ayer and his job on Suicide oh, Squad, which is good because yeah. Suicide Squad's a terrible movie. Oh yeah, no. If if they were delusional enough to to think that that was a good movie, then we had a bigger problem on our hands, Samuel. Batman vs Superman is a problematic movie, and it's not very good. Suicide Squad is actually a terrible movie. Oh, for sure. Like in, I don't, I don't think I don't think there's anyone that will disagree with you. I mean, you, you'd you'd be surprised, but yeah, uh, yeah I well, need to I need yeah. I need to take more time to read this and go into it, listen to some other pundits and their their takes on it. But that that is the story that broke uh, yesterday. Wow. Yeah, that's like crazy. Like that's intense that they like used that as a cover up for. Mm-hmm. Just firing him. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's their year, Samuel. <laughs> this is their year. There's some other DC Comics news. Let's go right into that, then we'll do trailers, because in the midst of all this chaos that's going on at uh, at, at, the, DC, at the DC Comics, which... It's, what chaos, it's, Samuel? Okay, it's, Everything's... Okay. It's more, they're running like a well-oiled machine, Samuel. It's their year. It's more of a revelation. Like, th- this report came out... Sorry, I need to correct myself. This report came out in July, but last night the guy who wrote it tweeted, "No, it's no, he was actually fired." So that's that's the most recent development. So if you read this report, if you just Google Zack Snyder Mashable, this details all the troubles that DC had with him. But then 
the new revelation to this story is no, it's not that he's he's limited. He's in a limited role. No, he was straight up fired. So that was the the thing that dropped. Actually, anyway, there's other things going. So I, first, I need to admit that I was wrong. I made a call on our Justice League episode that they were going to reboot this universe sometime in the new year, January, February. They were going to announce, we're done, we're going to reboot this universe, start over again. uh, That being said, looks like I was dead wrong there, because Shazam, (laughs) cameras are rolling on Shazam, and once once cameras roll, you have to make the movie, basically. That's it. It, All all the money has been spent, the the actors have been hired, and, and... They gotta go with it. Yeah, for a movie to stop... No, no turning back. For a movie to stop filming while production is going, it takes a travesty. Like, someone major getting fired or dying. Like, that's what's... Or injured. That's what stops a movie from being made. The synopsis for Shazam looks like they're doing the right thing, which is they're gonna tell a fun story about a kid given the powers of a god instead of, the, you know, the Zack Snyder of, oh, these powers are a curse and I kill everyone I love. Right. You know, they're they're sticking to what what the story of Shazam is. Yeah. You know, instead of trying to make it edgy. Yeah. For the for the teens. <laughs> yeah. So that's it's good that they're going to be sticking true to the character. So, but again, you can stick true to a character or a story and still be bad. Like. Uh, oh yeah, you can still fuck it up. Like the Fifty Shades movie is apparently very book accurate. No. Oh wow. <laughs> but but just no. Yeah. Don't watch just bad that. movies. Bad bad. I. Bad movies, bad Somebody books. was talking to me about that. They were like, do you want to go see it? And I was like, oh, that was you. No, I said, because I, <laughs> I had seen the second one as a joke. Because okay. when I was in Israel, I had, sure, a ra- I had a Samuel, a joke. I had a radio show in Israel, and we reviewed movies on it. So we decided, hey, what if as a joke we review Fifty Shades and talk about how bad it is? The problem was... It was so terrible, I couldn't even make fun of it. Wow. That's how bad the second movie is. I haven't seen the third one. Probably won't. Nope. I don't want to do that it's, to myself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Samuel Samuel comes to me and is like, hey, want to go see the third Fifty Shades of Grey as a joke? And yeah. I said, uh, uh, no. No, I don't. <laughs> It'd be an even better I'm joke gonna, for I'm gonna you because you didn't see the first two. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. That's what I was like during the when I was watching the second one. I was like, I don't know who any of these people are. I just, I just know who the main characters are. Are they <laughs> that's, important? That's, that's Mr. Gray and that's Mrs. Gray. Yep. That's that's Mr. Gray and that's Mrs. Fifty Shades. Mrs. Fifty Shades. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, but the Shazam other Shazam is. Yeah. I mean, but here's... are you excited for Shazam? I mean, I know he's not like that that big of a. Of a yeah, superhero. but but so was like the Guardians of the Galaxy. It doesn't matter how big a superhero is, but if you're gonna tell the story of Shazam, this is the story. Oh, my voice just cracked. This is the <laughs> story you tell. You tell the Billy Batson's a fun kid with the powers of a god. A Shazam movie should be fun. Oh, for sure. Like if you read, it's a, it's a kid in a big ass buff body. Yeah. Read any Shazam comic book. This is the vibe you want to hear. That's that's a good sign. However, I still think they should reboot this universe. But I I could be wrong because the first three the first three Fast and Furious movies were terrible, and then the fourth one was all right, and then the fifth one came out, and now it's the biggest franchise in the world. Yeah, 
I mean, Samuel, I mean, I, I know that we've said this a few times, but uh, it's their year. This so is their year. I'm, <laughs> I, have, I have faith in them. This is their year. But uh, speaking <laughs> of it being their year, you know, oh, yeah. Warner Brothers, they're a very smart what studio. What other good decisions are they, are they making? They're a smart studio that only makes good decisions. And as we talked about, they weren't – they also saw the same movies we did, and they're like, man, that's a bad movie. But apparently – they didn't see a Transformers <laughs> they movie. They missed out Transformers. Because, <laughs> oh, boy. They missed out on, on Sam Witwicky. Oh, boy. Oh Michael God. Bay is deeply in talks to, to direct Lobo. Oh, no. It's their year. It's <laughs> They've got it. This they, is their they year. They know what they're doing. New year, they know, new DC. They know, how, they know how movies work. Yeah. And and they know what makes a good movie and, and who good directors are and that. They're making the right decisions. But, Michael, it's their year. It's their year. <laughs> so this, oh, man. So this story, it's not like, oh, they're interested in Zack Snyder and they're giving him a call. Who? Let's see if he calls him. No, no. Apparently, Michael Bay has come in. He has read the script. He has, uh, he has done a, he has, uh, he's given some notes in the script. And now the screenwriter is going to go rewrite the script. And if, and if Michael Bay likes it, he's going to direct the movie. He's going to direct Lobo. Oh. Oh boy, I I can't wait. <laughs> like, what are they thinking? I don't know. I really don't know. It's it's really funny because of like the two news stories that that like how these are back to back because it's it's one where it's like okay, sort of a right decision. They hope, and then it's just back to just oh god, how. I feel I just don't know what's going through the minds at, at Warner Brothers. I just again, you, you think it's what do it, it's just what what are they thinking? Michael right. Bay, we've seen what Michael Bay does when you give him a monster budget. He mm-hmm. doesn't care. The, nope. Michael Bay doesn't make ba- like terrible movies. Michael Bay's best movies is when he's like he's he's fondling the United States military. Those are all of his best movies. Right. If the military's in it, he's like, oh yeah, look, patriotism. My I stand mm. for the flag. Like that's the kind of movies Michael Bay makes that are really good. Right. Like Armageddon is the most fuck yeah America movie in the entire world. <laughs> true. Very true. And then Pearl Harbor problematic story-wise but oh that that the pearl harbor scene in pearl harbor oh yeah phenomenal yeah that's the kind of movies that michael bay is really good at making he does not he's proven he does not care about fans like people all the dc fanboys like well the marvel movies are for the critic but the dc movies are for the fans um clearly not (laughs) they're getting the man who shat on the transformers franchise to Uh, come over and make lobo it's it's not it's not <laughs> I, I I have I'm like looking for reasons to be hopeful and there just aren't any. Yeah. But it's their year. It's their year, Michael. This is their year. Uh Aquaman could 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 wow us. Right? Yeah. Aqu- Aquaman could could possibly give us some more hope, you yeah. know. So, let's yeah, I don't know, man. We'll hold out for the fish man. But hey, Black Panther. Black Panther. Hey. <laughs> It's coming That's... out. Infinity War. I'm, you know, I'm not expecting yeah. Infinity War to be the greatest thing ever. I'm just expecting it to be pretty good, you know? I'm excited for it, though. Yeah. 
I think it's going to be good just for the fact of seeing all the characters on screen together. That's like, the same. Almost, you know, like like Avengers, you know, first Avengers. Do, like, Hey, Michael, do you remember when we when we had those people on to talk about Batman versus Superman with us? And that's exactly the defense one of them used to talk about Batman versus Superman. Oh, may, may, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> My point is. But also, this is this is DC and, uh, and versus Marvel. And Marvel's had and their I, year. Exactly. Marvel's been having their year. It's been Marvel's year Every for year. about 10 years now. I'm excited for Infinity War, but I can't think it's going to be the greatest thing ever. I'm just expecting a fun movie, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I had to keep my expectations choked down because Black Panther I, – I would not be surprised if Black Panther is the better movie. Oh, not at all. Yeah, I mean, it already is being called the best Marvel movie of all time. Again, so. I think people we haven't seen it yet. I'm just I'm expecting like a top five Marvel movie. You know? Yeah. Like my top five. I'm, expect, I'm expecting top three for me personally. Yeah, my top five my Marvel movies. Hold on, we're, we're okay. So right now my top five is Iron Man, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Avengers, Guardians One, and Spider Man Homecoming. Those are my five favorites. I'm expecting. Black Panther to be somewhere in there, if not bump or be my number six and just bump down Thor Ragnarok. But I'm expecting it to be in that upper half. But uh, I could walk out of the theater being like, I want to get dreadlocks. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, I, uh, we have to see it yet. For sure. Yeah. But let's talk um, about trailers. Let's talk about the trailers. We had three trailers. We had Deadpool 2, the solo... And then the and, and then Mission a Tom Impossible. Mission Impossible. We also had a Tom Hardy action movie that looks. I don't yeah. know what it's about, but it could be it could be about anything. Honestly, it could be about. Um, we see a guy like he's going. He, he he There's some car crashes and he rides a motorcycle between a car crash. Yeah, and, and he, then he he's we we see him in a in a store. You know, and then he, he's got he's got a nice little voiceover going about talking about change. And then he's running around uh, in the woods. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. What's, and then he's. Then he's on a CAT scan and sort of just has a seizure, and then, yeah. And that's but, the uh, end of the trailer. Who knows what this movie's going to be about. Yeah, I'm, it's rumored <laughs> to be a Venom movie, but uh, I don't know. It could be anything. I mean, well, that that would make sense, Samuel, seeing that the uh, the title screen at the end of the trailer did say Venom. Oh, uh, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. So maybe maybe that's what they were... Yeah, but, like, maybe maybe, maybe, it's maybe the studio that. confused it. Like, they put that tag onto this trailer for whatever this Tom Hardy action movie is going to be called. Maybe it was a typo, you know? Yeah. Uh, but also, uh, the sol- solo, the so- Han Solo movie. It's about Han Solo. You remember Han Solo? You you like Han Solo? This is Han Solo. I I know Han Solo. I'm good. The Millennium Falcon. I clap for the Millennium Falcon. He's gonna do the castle run, and then he's going to meet Chewbacca, and he's going to meet Lando Calrissian, and he's going to lose Jabba the Hutt's cargo, and then at the end of the movie, he'll meet Luke Skywalker. Maybe we'll find out who shot first. Ha 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 ha. I don't think that first thing's gonna happen. No, if Greedo shows up in this Han Solo movie, and he, and then it's like, man, Han Solo, I bet I can shoot faster than you. Oh, God. Hey. Hey, Han Solo. <laughs> I walk out of the theater. I will do it. Or, listen, it, you know what would be the worst? Is if they're having a conversation and it ends with, Ah, you know me, Solo. I always shoot first. <laughs> and then he leaves. And then I leave. And then, and then, it's and bad the, movie. And then Han Solo looks at the camera and says, I'm going to remember that. <laughs> and then, <laughs> And then Harrison Ford storms into the theater and 
proceeds to shoot the entire theater. Not dead. the theater. Not the theater. Michael can't make theater shooting jokes. Oh shit! My bad. He just he he, he hangs himself in front of the audience. Uh, <laughs> the audience and says, "Is this what you wanted? This is my legacy." Uh... Did you see? Did you see the interview? Where somebody at the D23 Expo, where somebody asked him, they were like, are you excited to see a a Han Solo movie as a fan? And he just goes, (laughs) no. (laughs) Uh, Hey, Harrison, it's 20 years since the first Blade Runner, so I return. What do you care? It's a living. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Oh I love Harrison Ford. I love how grumpy he is. That teaser, that teaser during... During the Grammys was the okay. Super Bowl, you mean? Yeah. Super Bowl, that's what I meant. Yeah, the Super Bowl um, teaser it was like it was all right, but the problem is all right. the full length minute forty five one they released that's not that good, and that's going to be like they released that so they could air it in front of Black Panther. That's going to be the one that they see in front of Black Panther. That's what people are going to first associate. And yeah, and there won't be another trailer for it comes out in May, so there's not going to be another trailer for another month or two. So right. every big budget. Most people, their first impression of Solo is going to be from this Minute 45 trailer, which is not that good. I'm still predicting it's going to be a flop. I don't think it's going to open that big, and if it's not – if it if it opens small but it's good, then it'll make its money back. But if it opens small and yeah. it's just okay, it's not going to make its money back. And yeah, the, the amount of money they spent on this movie – so I looked it up. Rogue One had a production budget of $200 million. So let's assume for Solo – they're in that range, 150 to $200 million. Ron Howard shot for longer than the original directors did. So the budget for this movie is now probably doubled. So we're looking at 300 to $400 million budget. Then they have to put another $150 million to market this thing. We're in another Justice League scenario where if this movie doesn't make $700 million, it's going to lose money. If that yeah. happens, we're probably going to see Kathleen Kennedy lose her job. Oof. We're probably going to see huge shakeups at the studio. Like, Solo has the potential to change Lucasfilm as we know it. Right. This this movie actually has to be a hit. I'm of the belief that simply because it is a Star Wars movie, it will probably still perform well. Just because, I, I, I mean, people but, are going to go see that the, the movie no matter what, you know? I... I feel like we're we're go- we're certainly going to find out because it's it's also coming out in May, which is a super crowded month. Yeah, in May we have Avengers at the beginning of the month. Then two weeks later, I think I think in order it's Avengers, Deadpool, and then Deadpool. Solo. If I'm yeah. if I'm right, On. I think you are correct. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. So Deadpool two comes out a week before Solo. And it's going to be very hard for this movie to make a lot of money because right. it's going to be competing with Avengers and Deadpool, which if both of those movies are good, they're going to have huge repeat business. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially Deadpool. And it's competing with Deadpool. It's competing with Avengers on its fourth week, third week, sorry. But it'll be competing with Deadpool on its second week. And a Deadpool yeah. 2 is good as the first one, we're going to see huge people, numbers of people going back for Deadpool 2. Oh yeah, for sure. It's they're they're playing it very risky with this movie. Maybe they know something we don't. Maybe Kathleen Kennedy has seen the movie. She knows it's great, and that's why right. she doesn't feel the need to move it. But I don't know. I'm scared. I'm scared for that. Is something that we can keep in mind is that you know if if we can if we can trust Kathleen Kennedy to make the right decision, then 
you know, there there can be hope for this movie. You know, it's the it's the it's the big paradox of of like movies is like you can really only trust the people to make the right decisions but always think that they're making the right decision you know yeah it's just whether they're actually making the right decision i mean kathleen kennedy didn't just get her job she has been working for ages she has earned she's she's got she's got her experience she's earned this spot and if solo flops and she gets fired she'll have no problem getting another job her resume is just too huge i don't know if she knows that she's betting her career on this movie like whether she understands the scope of if she had just let lord and miller finish their han solo and put out a movie she wasn't thrilled with the comedy aspect might have saved it or but right and even if the lord and miller movie wasn't that good it would have much better it would have a much better chance of making money than this movie by taking the bet and deciding to make the movie all over again she's betting it's going to she's basically betting on it being fantastic it's a it's a a big bet i I trust you kathleen but uh i i would never take those odds yeah well we we shall see we shall see we shall see uh-huh. Uh and then uh the the, the Deadpool 2 ch- trailer. It's a Deadpool trailer, man. What's not so yeah. it's 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 good trailer. It's, we saw Cable. It's funny. We saw X-Force, which I'm excited about. I don't know if that was X-Force. It looked a lot like X-Force for it to not be X-Force. Yeah, uh and then uh and then they made a Superman joke. That was funny. Yep. Little mustache, Henry Cavill mustache joke. <laughs> and speaking um, of Henry Cavill's mustache, the Mission Impossible Two Six trailer. Yeah, we saw the mustache that killed DC. <laughs> yeah, we did. I'm, you know, oh, I'm wow. glad they ruined Justice League for this movie because yeah. I like Mission Impossible more than the DCEU. Mission Impossible has become one of those franchises. It's just like it's really solid, really enjoyable movies. They come out for sure. It's not like Star Wars or Marvel where you're like, I wonder what they're going to do in the next one. No, it's like they'll tell another spy story with some yeah, great – they'll do some cool, some cool stealthy, you know, yeah. action. There's going to be some great and... stunts, some really oh, yeah. thrilling sequences, and then the movie's going to end and you're going to be just dandy. I've loved the last two Mission Impossible – actually, I saw three. So I've loved, I've loved all last three Mission Impossibles. Can't wait for this one. Be anxiously awaiting to yeah. see uh, Tommy Boy's uh... – next return yeah well that's the next that's that's it baby that's, that's it for a, that's the trailers the, the trailers. trailers trailers now we got some stuff going on we got some details on this disney streaming service more details okay it's pretty much confirming what we were speculating on that uh they're not going to be too risky with it they're mostly right. going to be sticking to their main franchises all the content's going to be family friendly mm-hmm and uh, like, there's a High School Musical series that's coming out, a Monsters Inc. series, yeah, uh, Camp Rock, an, either another Camp Rock series or a Camp Rock movie. Can't remember. But... I don't know. I feel like movie would make. More... Well, actually, no. If they're gonna make a High School Musical TV show, then might as well make a Camp Rock TV show. Yeah, you know? but they're they're gonna be sticking to. And then the other thing is, all these movies that they've produced that they don't necessarily that are really small budgeted. They're going to put on the streaming service instead of pushing for a theatrical release where they can right. minimize their risk. Yeah. But the big – Save some money too. And then they also confirm the budgets. Most of these series are going to have $10 million season budgets, which is mm-hmm. about what Netflix does for their smaller shows. But they have yeah. also said that their Star Wars series is going to have $10 million an episode budget for a yeah. $100 million season. Which is exciting because that's – 
yeah. freaking Game of Thrones level shit right there. Exactly. And what's exciting about what's also exciting is that the way they're going to get people to subscribe to this is twofold. They're going to get people like you and me to subscribe by putting a new Star Wars show on this. Exactly. And then and also Marvel movies. Yeah. <laughs> And then they're going to get every single parent in America to subscribe by putting the entire Disney catalog on there. It's for – if you're a parent listening to this, uh, I, we talked to your mom. I, like when I told your mom about this and described, mm-hmm. oh, well, they're going to have a streaming service. It's going to have every Pixar movie, every Disney animated movie on one service for $7 a month. It says, oh, yeah, I already bought Where it. Where do I sign? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're, yeah. If you are a parent in America, this is the streaming service to get. Like if you are right. – if you're a – Middle class family, you don't have the money it's really for every a no streaming. Brainer. Yeah, if you don't have the money for every streaming service, yeah, you're gonna cancel your Netflix and your Spotify for this. Oh, for sure. If you like, if you have Netflix just for your kids, if you don't, if you if you don't understand these new streaming services and they're they're confusing to you and all that stuff, and you just get them because your kids like them. Get get rid of it once this comes out and get this. Yeah, <laughs> get, you will. Get the Disney one. Pixar movies aren't like the fart movies that come out of Illumination. The Pixar no. movies, they're good for the soul, you know? Exactly. You they, can, they have a good message. You can let your... And, you, and character depth. And they teach you about emotion, and, and it's okay to be sad, except for the Cars movies. Those are terrible. Those, yeah. We don't want to talk about the Cars movies. But if, if you, you just sit your kid down, and your kid's like, ah, oh, and you need to you just need to nap or something, plop them down with an iPad with the Disney streaming service on it, say, hey, here, watch every Pixar movie for six hours. I'm going to go to sleep. M- Mommy's going to go uh, take a nap. Yeah. The ne- the kids' content on Netflix is okay, but you can't top Pixar. No, not at all. And the the classic Disney animation library also, like The Lion King. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, all the, all the good ones. And I'm personally excited for Princess and the Frog. To watch that again? It's been, it's been ages since I've seen that movie, and... It's one of my favorites. And the other thing is, uh, if you like Marvel or Star Wars, this is the only place you're going to be able to stream those movies. Exactly. So, uh, looks like uh, they better freaking take my money. Yep, take it, take it. It launches. It. it launches next year, and uh, I'm I'm highly anticipating it. I'm excited about these TV series, um, especially the the higher budget ones, because I think that'll really be where where we can see Disney's where we can see whether or not Disney's going to shine with this platform, you know? Yeah. And see if they can sort of move into the new streaming, you know, television program area. Um so, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, what's this Star Wars show is going to be what makes or breaks it. Like when Disney launches this thing, they'll have the pre-installed market of every parent in America. Right. And that's going to guarantee them X number of million dollars. But if they want to be as big as Netflix, they need to do what Netflix is doing, which is constantly put out new, good, original content. Right. And we'll talk about a little bit later in our review segment, but you know, Netflix has made some stumbles in that effort. But overall, yeah. the reason I still subscribe to Netflix is because BoJack Horseman is there. Yeah, the, right. the Marvel Netflix shows are on there, stuff like that, and I'm uh, they have a ton of anime they're gonna start producing because I'm a weeaboo who loves anime. <laughs> For Disney to succeed, they don't just need oh let's just put a Star Wars show on this. No, you need a Star Wars show and it needs to be good, and then you need to put another Star Wars show after this one and right. another Marvel show, and then keep doing that forever. And then start putting right. original movies on your streaming service. That's how you. That's how you keep this thing going. You'll exactly. always, you'll always have the parents 
who are going to subscribe for the Pixar catalog, but you won't be able to be enormous until unless your original content is good. And then the last the last big thing, uh, the last story that the big story that dropped. The Game of Thrones creators, DB Weiss and uh, David Benny, those guys, they are, they have been signed to write and produce a brand new series of Star Wars movies. Now there was there was some controversy with this, with this pick, but over writing, they have not agreed to direct because they are not directors, which is good. Like you don't just say, hey, let's make your directorial debut with Star Wars. That's what they're good at. That's what we can trust them to do a good job with. Gonna do for Star Wars they did for Game of Thrones, which is write epic stories with depth and all that, and then let other directors make those stories and bring them to life. Exactly. Now, there was there was some controversy with this, and uh, I think this will be a good contrast compared to, to, compare to our Black Panther review, but mm. people instantly got mad about this. They, they were either in one of two camps. Either they wanted to hate the story that said, oh, George R.R. Martin did all the work. They just adapted it. It's like, you don't understand how no, no, adaptations no, 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 no. work. <laughs> that's not how, how, this, that's like, not yes. how this works. George R.R. Martin. You small little snowflake. George R.R. Martin wrote very long books about stuff. They had to actually find out how to make that work for TV. Very hard job to do. Yes. And very different from just writing a book. Yeah. But the other thing that people were mad about is they, they immediately started decrying white privilege, white privilege. They only uh-huh. got this job because they were white men and they shouldn't have the job because they're white men. Now, normally, I would agree with you. Now, now, here's why you're wrong. Now, here's why you're wrong. So, if yes, white privilege certainly exists in Hollywood. We have seen many people get their first big budget director movie after making one indie film and they yep. it just happened to be white men like Colin Trevorrow who made Jurassic World he made one movie that cost about five dollars to make called uh, uh Safety Not Guaranteed which I actually liked quite a bit and then because he made one good indie movie he's like oh here's 150 million dollars for Jurassic World Colin go go make that movie that's go what, wild now that is white privilege I guarantee you the same year Safety Not Guaranteed came out a, a, a non-white man or a, or a woman Probably made a movie for the same budget that was just as good, but she didn't get right. Jurassic World. That's nope. your white male privilege right there. Where exactly. you you have people who have not done the hard work to gain experience who work their way up to a big budget film getting big budget films anyway. Benny off and Weiss. With no with no attention to reputation or or actual skill or Yeah. So Benny off and Weiss, they had I think one of them had uh wrote a series called The Kite Runner and then also like so one of them, I think Benioff, I could be wrong, but I believe Benioff, he had written some stuff for TV before. Nothing huge, but he had written some TV before Game of Thrones. Weiss was pretty inexperienced. But they but still they got Game of Thrones. And I will 100% agree. They got that because they were white men, and because they were white men, they were not looked upon with as much scrutiny as a non-white man would have gotten. For sure. I I will 100% give you that. They got Game of Thrones because of white privilege. However, to say they don't deserve Star Wars because they're white men means you have to ignore what they actually did with Game of Thrones. You have to discredit the whole series of Game of Thrones, the most popular most amazing tv show of the generation yes now i'm going to repeat myself so that people don't think i am erasing white privilege they yes they got the opportunity to make game of thrones because they are white men 
and I believe in Hollywood, we need to give opportunity to more people than just white Equal men. Yes. However, they had the opportunity to make Game of Thrones, and when they and they did with that opportunity is make the biggest TV show of the decade. Yeah. Which that which every season had a bigger budget than the last season, got more viewers in the last season. They did well, yes, they got that initial opportunity because of their race and gender. What they did but with they that opportunity the opportunity for for Star Wars because they made Game of Thrones. Exactly. They are <laughs> not because they were white. They went from being fairly unqualified to being overqualified for any job. They they exceeded their white male privilege to just be good writers and producers. Right. So if you're gonna hire them, if you have to compare Benioff and Weiss to any under experienced writer producer, you go with Benioff and Weiss because exactly. they're six they had huge success with Game of Thrones. Yeah, because they proved themselves. They made fucking Game of Thrones. Yes. Like now now where we can start complaining about white privilege again and where i will join you in complaining about Mm. white privilege again is when these movies they're writing and producing when it comes time to cast directors for these movies right if the directors for these movies are inexperienced white men we can start waving the white privilege flag again because yes that is then we got a problem don't care about qualifications why not hire a woman or a person of color now if you do care about qualifications then it's understandable if you decide to bring in, off the top of my head, Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. Like, if Christopher Nolan's brought on to direct one of these movies, you can't scream white privilege because Christopher no. Nolan, his catalog speaks for itself. Oh, yeah. But if you bring on uh, the director, if you bring on any Joe Schmo white guy who made one indie film at Sundance, yeah, and then give him a Star Wars movie, then yeah, white privilege, this is stupid, why not expand opportunity to a woman or a person of color? So that is... I think I just think we need to calm down. You need to understand mm-hmm. what people love to throw words around, like straw man or cuck or SJW or white privilege, That those kinds of words. Yeah. We need to remember words have meaning. White privilege means that they did not have qualifications, but they got a big job anyway. That is... Because, because of the fact that they were white. Or they got... They were given the opportunity... Because of that reason. But Benioff and Weiss, for Game of Thrones, yes, white privilege. They got Game of Thrones because mm-hmm. of white privilege. That, yep. I will not disagree with you there. Then they made the then they made, but show. Then they made, they made Game of Thrones in all its glory, and now they are overqualified for anything. The, right. Ve- we're talking very different scenarios with the same people. I guarantee you what would happen is if, if let's say, Game of Thrones was given to people of color or some women. And then those women went on to make Game of Thrones the same way, and then they got a Star Wars movie. I guarantee you the alt-right on the other side would start screaming, they have an SJW agenda. And I would say the same thing to them. No. No. (laughs) They made one of the best shows ever. They are overqualified to make a Star Wars movie now. Exactly. This it's the same thing. It's all about perspective. Yeah. And I'm and I'm all about about twisting twisting things to to make them say what you want them to say yeah and audience i'm sorry i repeated myself so much i just i need to hammer in the point because if i ever if i ever run for office or something someday i don't know and someone goes back and finds this i need to repeat myself so that they understand exactly what i'm saying so that they can't use my words against me call you a racist yeah yeah it's 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 a very different very different situation scenarios but i'm excited for these movies (laughs) oh yeah very much 
You kidding me? Freaking Game of Thrones people doing Star Wars? Who? Hell yeah! Who wouldn't want that? Idiots! Yeah. These these stupid people who are who are throwing the the white privilege around. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh. So that that is it, Michael. We said last week you can do some talk about the Grammys. Oh yeah. And you talked. And uh... in the last recording, you talked about the Grammys <laughs> for an hour. And I I think when Samuel when Samuel <laughs> told me that uh he was gonna let me uh, talk about the Grammys, I don't think he knew what he was getting himself into. So uh, um so we. Because <laughs> I'll let the audience know. There's an hour of Michael rambling on about the Grammys. <laughs> uh, what's the word? Nonsensically? Yeah. What you're about sure. to hear is me giving him the instructions of calm down, focus on what you want to say, <laughs> and then say it. Uh, I'm, giving, right, so I'm giving him 15 minutes. So if you don't care about the fi- Grammys, skip forward 15 minutes and Michael will be done. Exactly. Michael, your time starts now. All right, Grammys 2018. All right, let's let's start with my problems uh, with the Grammys of 2018. So, so first of all, the Grammys in past years have always been just a bit of a letdown, in my opinion. They've been disappointing. The performances have been good, but overall, the awards and the accolade part of the of the show has has been lackluster, um, to say the least. Um, so let, let's start with the first problem of the night that I came upon, and prob- arguably the the biggest problem. That I had with the with the show, uh, best new artist category. So the nominations for best new artist category, we had we had SZA, we had Khalid, we had um, uh, I can't remember the the only ones that really matter though for me were SZA and Khalid and Alessia Cara. Those were the only ones that I really and uh, the winner of, of of the of best new artist was Alessia Cara. Now, if you don't know who Alessia Cara is, she's she's a, a young uh, I believe she's, I believe she's maybe she's either our age or younger, Samuel. But she's she's a young singer who is most famous for uh, her or got her her start with her her hit here. Which if you if you've never heard it, it's a uh, it's basically a song about her going to a party and, and being uncomfortable, and instead of leaving. Just complaining about it. So that's what we're dealing with here. That's Alessia Cara for you. Here's the thing. SZA should have won. That's that's all I'll say. SZA should have won. Now, if you don't know who SZA is, she's Top Dog Entertainment, the the, the same uh, label that has Kendrick Lamar and Schoolboy Q and just curated the Black Panther album. Um, they, she's their, their newest R&B uh, queen, if you, if you would say. Um... She she's very similar to the likes of um, uh, Erica Badu and Lauren Hill and that sort of style of R and B. You know the the very um, rhythmical lyrics and and whatnot about about love and heartbreak and all that stuff and all from the perspective of a of a of a strong black woman. Um, now here's why Scissor should have won. Uh, Number one, the lyrical and musical integrity of of SZA's work that she did in 2017 was unprecedented by any other new sort of artist. And now the main argument is that SZA this in 2017, SZA released two singles and a 14-track album. Okay, a phenomenal album. Okay, a great album. You should listen to it. It's called Control. Um, it's all about, you know, her struggle with control and, and, and how she, uh, works on that in, in her love life and in her actual life and all that stuff. Um, now 
Alessia Cara, she had one single in 2017. <laughs> one single. And here's the thing. It wasn't even her song. Have you, have you heard of the song Here, Samuel? Or, you, you or just... Stay, or Stay, or what? That's called Stay. That's what I meant. Michael, it's, I, it's a, a Zed song. I don't listen it's to a, music, it's, a, it's an EDM song made made by Zed, and uh, and that was that was all she did. That was all she did this year. She she released one song, and it wasn't even hers. Now people were mad about this for for another reason, and I want to clear something up. People were like, "Oh, well, Alessia Cara, she's she's been around since twenty twenty thirteen, blah blah blah," and and. That's not what best new artist means, and what best new artist means is essentially is never is somebody who's never been nominated. But that's not why I'm mad, <laughs> you know. I'm mad because SZA worked her ass off this year and delivered, and Alessia Cara sang someone else's song and then received the credit for it. That was probably the the award that pissed me off the most. But uh, moving on, my the the next one that I want to talk about is record of the year. Um, now, Samuel, and I, you you and I have talked about. What it what it means uh, to win record of the year versus winning song of the year. Record of the year is based off of production and the overall sort of uh, product, while song of the year is songwriting. So record of the year is is the final product that we he- that we hear on the radio on our streaming services and everything. While song of the year is the 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 rough draft of of notes and chords and lyrics that the songwriter gave to the producer. And I um, I maintain that the way you fix the you fix the confusion is you just do what the Oscars do. The Oscars have best picture and best screenplay. That's how you have to right. think about this. The the song best song is really best screenplay. Record of the year is best picture. This was a good category. I mean, we had nominations we had Despacito, we had 24 Karat Magic, we had um Redbone, you know, all a lot of great nominations for that. Um, in the end, Twenty Four Karat Magic did take the title, and uh, I want to start by saying that there's there's no hate towards Bruno Mars. You know, he he did some really good work with this album. Um, you know, him and his team and everything. And uh, I, I I I don't have anything wrong with the album. You know, I I don't think that it was a bad album or that it didn't deserve to be nominated or to win even. Um, however. This was the beginning of of a trend or, or or pattern that night of of safe choices that that the Oscars I think are Oscars and that the Grammys are pretty notorious for for doing and uh, for making. My opinion of the matter was that Redbone by Childish Gambino should have win uh won simply because I think I don't think the production value of either Twenty Four Karat Magic or Redbone are any better. Than each than the other, I think they both sort of stand at the same level there. Um, you know, the production is clean and, and you know well done and catchy and all that stuff. Um, my second point is that Redbone is is if if you look at the songs Twenty Four Karat Magic and Redbone and and the music of of those and the styles I guess of the songs, they they're sort of the same idea. You know, it's it's going back to an old an old sound and bringing it in into the into the new century you know with with Bruno Mars it's taking old 80s hip hop and bringing it to uh and bringing it to the to the now and for Redbone it's taking old you know funk wave you know psychedelic rock and bringing it to the future um so the same idea in my opinion 
Redbone was better executed. Not not because it was, you know, like I said, produced better, sounded better, or anything like that, but because they didn't do what Bruno Mars did, which was sort of just repackaging, you know, the same sound that we knew and just, you know, putting putting newer lyrics to it, essentially. You know, uh, we didn't hear anything musically that was new in 24 Karat Magic, you know? It was very much a throwback to the old style of, of hip-hop. Specifically James now, Brown. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, now, here's here's what I'll say. In defense of 24 Karat Magic, uh, first of all, I called it. Samuel is right. Dance can play. Yep. Uh, Samuel was right. Dance. I don't put it on you, but you were pretty ignorant to the difference between song and record. And yeah, no, I, I didn't know until you until you brought it to my attention. Yeah, and when I explained it to you and then explained why 24 Karat Magic was going to win, I think that's what got you to understand it. Yeah, for sure. And, which is which is why I wasn't as mad when it did win, you know? Yeah, when, when um, you understand the, the difference between record and song, it makes perfect sense. I just think if the Grammys want to avoid this, the, this confusion, change Song of the Year to Best Song Writing, change Record of the Year to Best Song. That's... Everyone will understand the difference there, and there won't be any more think pieces that get the categories wrong. But um, but like I was saying, Redbone didn't just you know repackage the the familiar sound. It so he he really Childish Gambino really made something new with this with this um record. He he added on to to what to the sound that we were already familiar with, and and really created a new genre and and I, and I, I god I just I can't get over the fact that y- you could go anywhere I think in the United States and if you play those those opening seven notes of that record everybody's going to know that song you know like just you hear that and you immediately know oh yeah redbone amazing song you know so yeah i th- i think redbone should have won i'm not mad that 24 karat magic did win but i do disagree with the decision i think um, that 24 karat magic won the weddings and bar mitzvahs award for sure <laughs> which song do you think was played at more weddings and bar mitzvahs exactly and, uh, and like people say oh jews run the media jews run hollywood not true really like but there's a higher concentration of jews in the music industry than yeah. I'd say any other aspect of Hollywood. Oh, for sure. I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm a Jew. Uh, well, <laughs> theater. theater. There's a lot of Jews in theaters. Yeah, but there's a ton theater. of Jews. Like, still, like you look at record. You look at record executives. That's where and, and producers, ton of, and managers, all the people who decide it. There's so many Jews in the music industry still, as opposed to Hollywood, which is pretty diverse, which uh, religion-wise, uh, if you're thinking there's Tons of Jews in the music industry. That means they probably went to a lot of bar mitzvahs. This is the song they heard. Now, uh, now, Samuel, how am I doing on time? You got four more minutes. Okay, great. I'm gonna I'm gonna quickly go through uh, album of the year and sort of and just go through each one and my my thoughts about them and um and talk about which one did win and which one I think should have won and then I'll finish up with the uh, with my my favorite performances of the night. So uh, album of the year. Um, Nominations we had uh twenty four karat magic, as to be expected. I think I think Bruno Mars walked away at the end of the night with the most wins. Um and I'm I'm not I'm not sure if he had the most nominations. I think Kendrick still had that. Um but uh but we had we had twenty four karat magic by Bruno Mars, we had Damn by Kendrick Lamar, uh we had four forty four by Jay Z, we had Melodrama by Lord, and we had Awaken My Love by Childish Gambino. 
Um, so I'm going to start with Damn. This album should have won, first of all, just for consistency purposes. Like, the fact that Kendrick has released his past three albums have all been nominated for Album of the Year, that that says something. I mean, what what the fuck does this man have to do to get a Album of the Year award? He's the Leonardo you know? DiCaprio of the Grammys. He really is. He, he really, to, really is. He has to make a music video. That He has to make a visual album like Beyonce that ends yep. with him looking into the camera with his face beat the fuck up. Just broken and just pleading. Please. Just give me the... Can I please it, have it now? Give it to me. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, so so this album was great. I mean, every every song on it was, you know, a bop. I, I really enjoyed. This was the only album, I think, on this list that I could listen to all the way through without skipping a single song. Um and it, it really was was Kendrick's magnum opus, in my opinion. He was firing at at um, at a hundred percent on all levels, and he he really just brought his A game with this album, um, just musically, I would say, um, and and storytelling wise as well. Uh, now, four forty four. This was a, a the the metaphor that I've used to describe this album is is a is a Renaissance painting. It's just a a, a beautiful masterpiece that paints the picture of a of a of an exposed and, and broken man who who we who we you know grew to love as this this big tycoon and and rap mogul who has just r- really reached his lowest point i think and this album couldn't have been easy for him to make and i think he he really opened up and and said a lot of really really important and really great things in this album um so yeah, that's 444. Uh, melodrama, uh, metaphor I use for this one is a, is a five-act Greek tragedy. Um, it's just, a, it's just really, it's, it's, it, you listen to this album and it feels like you've gone through a full day, you know? And if, if you know anything about Greek drama, it, it, all of it takes place in a day. Um, and you can really feel that arc of, you know, a full day passing in this album where you, you, you have the beginning and and it's it's sort of this this intro you you build up and and you know go through the day and then there's the high points and the low points and then there's there's this moment of sort of resolution and and almost rebirth it's it's very it's very well done um a journey through heartbreak is is what melodrama was and then then we have awaken my love my my choice for for what should have won best album Simply because I think it's the one that brought the most to the table. In my opinion, this album changed music. It's definitely the boldest out of the five albums. Um, it defied all expectations. It was not what we were expecting from Childish Gambino whatsoever. Um, and it, it really did usher in this new wave of techno, psychedelic, funk music, you know? And we're already seeing examples of it, of, of the influence of it. I mean, in Tyler, the Creator, and Caliucas, and um, artists like Rex Orange County. You know, I think this album just really had the most to bring and, and did bring the most to the table. And I, I think it should have been rewarded for it, but apparently the Grammys disagreed and gave it to good old Bruni Brune instead. They didn't give it to a bad album, they just gave it to the safest no. album. Exactly. They And like I said earlier, they him winning best record was the beginning of a ser- of a pattern of of safe choices for the night and so i once he won that award i was pretty much expecting him to win best um best album similar to the last grammys and the grammys of of 2 3 years ago uh disappointing awards but 
let's get into the performances. Uh, my favorites of the night, I'm just going to list them off real quick, uh, was Kesha. She performed Praying with a with a, a large ensemble of other female artists. I believe Cindy Lauper was one of them. B.B. Rexa, I believe, was another. Um, and that was just a really powerful um, performance, especially with all of the, the Time's Up sort of imagery and, and homages throughout the night. Um then we had uh, then Kendrick Lamar opened the show with U2 and Dave Chappelle. It, Kendrick Lamar always brings it with performances, especially at the Grammys. Um, go and watch his um, his performance from two years ago, and definitely watch this year's. He's he's amazing. He really knows what he's doing. Um, Lady Gaga performed Joanne with um, with uh, with Mark Ronson, um, and she she performed the, uh, the 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 title track to her album, Joanne, which, in my opinion, was the most snubbed album of, of this year. Um, I don't think it got enough credit, um, but that's another story for another time. Uh, Childish Gambino performed um, his song Terrified off of Awaken My Love. Great vocal performance, uh, beautiful instrumentation. SZA performed one of her singles throughout, from the year, Broken, Broken Clocks, which was uh, a nice performance. I enjoyed that performance just to see her sort of have that that opportunity to perform on the grammys that was pretty cool to see um especially since she didn't get to uh you know celebrate a win for that night so um yeah i mean i that's that's pretty much it i have more to say but because i i fucked around and uh didn't you know decide to write a grammys piece uh this is what i've been limited to yeah so uh (laughs) fucking do things next time piece of fucking shit yeah, I know. <laughs> next time, next time I will, because I it it's killing me that I can't say more about this. But but yeah. I feel like Samuel is gonna find a way to to injure me in some way if I if I keep going. Yeah. But yeah, so that's my that's my Grammys opinions, those, or at least those are Michael's opinions. The concise Michael's opinions are not the opinions of the show because I don't listen to music, so I, I don't know. I listened to a bit of four forty four. I'm like, oh man, Jay Z, this is really good, but I can't. Uh, we we talked about this yesterday, but. The only thing, the only joke I can make is about 4:44 is I really want to do a sketch where a little a little kid gets up at the at the talent show and starts to sing "Story of OJ," and before I can say the first word of the album, which of the song, which is uh, "light," he gets tackled because the second yeah. word is you know the N word, yeah. the unspeakable word yeah. for people who look like you and I do, Samuel. Yeah, we can't say mm-hmm. that word, and we shouldn't say that word because it's a bad word. Exactly. If you've never been called that word or have the ability to be called that word, nah. Yeah. You just don't. Just don't. Don't, don't do it. <laughs> don't, 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 don't do it. I know you think you're being edgy, but it's not, you're not being edgy. You're just being a dick. Let's talk about moving on. Moving on. You know, it's culture vacuum. Music is definitely culture. Oh, for sure. Uh, let's talk about some, some, things that, some, some things we want to review. Oh yeah. Now we're there. It's all Netflix again because, <laughs> which, it's not our fault. You know, it isn't. It really isn't. It's they just no they movies just have come out. Stuff out. No other movies worth seeing have come out. Michael's still in his Oscars catch up. We might do that, not next week because we're probably going to dedicate a lot of time to Black Panther. But we're going to do more oh, Oscars yeah. catch up with Michael. But. This is what's come out. Well, we're we're gonna first review the Cloverfield Paradox, and then we're gonna review Devilman Crybaby. Both of these are on Netflix right now. I recommend Devilman. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, that's yeah. Mm-hmm. But 
first, fair to say. we need to talk about Cloverfield Paradox, not because it's a particularly good movie, but because this is another thing that we didn't really see coming of what Netflix's yeah. business model could be. Right. So first, what happened is you're watching the superb owl. We can't say that we can't say what it is because it's copyrighted, but superb owl. You're watching the superb yeah. owl. The game where they throw the thing and everybody claps. Yes, <laughs> and they clapped. You're watching the superb owl, and in the middle of a commercial break, it says, "You see, ah, people in space, ah, spooky hand, the Cloverfield paradox on Netflix after the game." Yeah. And I'm thinking that's a brilliant marketing move because now everyone's yeah. gonna go watch Netflix after the game. You won. Exactly. The story behind the Cloverfield Paradox is Paramount made it, the, the studio Paramount. They made this movie uh, for about 40-ish million dollars, and uh, it was originally titled God Particle, and then it was somehow going to be worked into the Cloverfield universe. It was supposed to come out in April, and then we started hearing rumors that maybe they had sold some of the rights to Netflix. Like, uh, they have a movie coming out next month called annihilate uh later this month actually called annihilation which is from the guy who did ex machina mm-hmm. have you seen ex machina i have great yeah. movie great movie so his next movie is called annihilation what happened is apparently this movie annihilation is super heady paramount didn't think they were going to be able to sell it to a, an international audience so instead of taking that risk they sold the rights the international rights off to netflix and they're going to release it theatrically here in China. And in China, mm. because Netflix isn't in China, so it's, there's no really a point there. I think that's smart in general. So if you if you live in the UK or Europe or whatever, you'll be able to watch Annihilation as a Netflix original movie on Netflix. The rest of us have to go to theaters. So I think that's smart. So we, we heard rumors that maybe they did the same thing with Cloverfield. Turns out, no. They had just straight up sold the movie completely to Netflix. They We don't know how much they sold it for, but the rumor is that... The movie immediately became profitable. So Paramount sold it to Netflix for what it costs to make and then a little extra to make it worth their time. The reason Paramount did this is because they didn't think if they spent 40 to $50 million to market this movie that they would necessarily be able to recoup that and make a profit. So instead, and make a $10 million profit because, you know, you only keep 60% of the box office. So instead, right. they just took a $10 million profit decided you know what we're not going to take the chance that we might make a 20 or 30 million dollar profit and after seeing the movie i can say they made a very good decision yes they did because just just disappointment just all around i would say did okay so uh, did you see 10 cloverfield lane on amazon no i I have not okay the reason i was disappointed with this movie is because i love 10 cloverfield lane the second cloverfield A a lot of people did yeah I didn't like this first Cloverfield that much, but the second one, yeah. the second one, I think it served its purpose. I think it, it definitely served its purpose as being, yeah, you know, sort of a, a landmark for found. You know, found footage film. Yeah, it's like you know? it's still so, the best found footage film is still Chronicle. Oh, for sure. Maybe Blair um, Witch. But I, was, I definitely, I would definitely say Cloverfield is is up there, definitely in top five. Um, the Ten Cloverfield Lane is just a good movie. Just mm-hmm. it's it's a thrill. It's so good. It's on Amazon right now, Prime. So if you have that, watch it, please. Great movie. So that's why I was excited for <clears throat> for Cloverfield Paradox. Uh, it's just bad, man. We're not. Yeah. We're gonna go full spoilers for this movie because I don't want to dance around it. But if you care, God. watch just it. Nothing. It's it, it, no, because it, no, it, it, it nothing matters. Yeah. <laughs> like nothing really matters in this movie. So in this movie, you know? there's a bunch of scientists. There's an energy. You figure out. Yeah. They answer the 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 mystery of. 
of Cloverfield within the first 30 minutes of this movie. The, what happened was the, the scientist ran a particle accelerator, ripped a big hole in reality, and then a bunch of weirdness started happening in the multiverse. Obviously, this isn't the same world as the first Cloverfield movie because <clears throat> that movie took place not in 2017 or right. whatever. It took place in the year Cloverfield came out. I believe, like, 2007? Something like that. That Cloverfield movie, what this movie says is this particle accelerator in some universe ripped a hole in reality, and that's how the Cloverfield monsters and the aliens, that's how they all got out into the different worlds we see in the two other Cloverfield movies. Because in 10 Cloverfield Lane, there's aliens that fly around in spaceships. It's not the Cloverfield monster. Mm. And And then the Cloverfield monster from the first movie, it got down... Thanks to this rip in the multiverse. Fine. Right. The rip in the multiverse doesn't explain. So what happens is these, these astronauts, they go into the, the next universe, the parallel dimension. And, yep. okay, you jump dimensions. And uh, a new crewmate gets trapped in the walls of your spaceship. That's understandable because, like, she yeah. was in one location in space. Then your ship showed up and she was just there. That makes sense. Right. What doesn't make sense is... How did the wall eat your arm and then take your arm off and then your arm is now acting by itself? How did, how does universe hopping explain that? My, my, my understanding of it was the, the reason why everything was just sort of fucked up and, and just sort of going to shit was because they were beings from another universe in a universe where they didn't belong. So the rules of physics were like, what the fuck is going on? And we're just sort of going all crazy. Maybe. You know? Uh, yeah. That was my understanding of it, at least. Yeah, I can buy that. But they they just don't – they don't really – a lot of other weird things they happen. They don't explain it, though. They don't they, – Yeah. They don't, like, tell you that that's what happened. Like, you, you are left to figure this out for yourself. Yeah, like, yeah, maybe <laughs> it's, like, scars in reality and then the universe hop just made physics. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of good that they released it on Netflix because – you cannot. You can watch this with somebody else and use them as sort of a is that a ta- like a you can you can like uh, you know bounce ideas off of each other you know. <laughs> but if this was in theaters, you know, God, hell, I'd I don't know how I would have understood half of what was going on in this movie. It, like half of the reason why I even understood most of it was because I was sitting with Patrick and we were constantly being like okay wait so does that mean this 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 but oh okay well no maybe it's that like you know it's just yeah and then while all the <laughs> while all the spooky stuff in space is going on there's also a subplot on earth which is um i want to be as that nice matters? as i can <laughs> i want to be as nice as i can is completely fucking stupid and pointless it's it's all medium shots they definitely shot it all in a day mm. And just, like, you're supposed to think spooky stuff is going on on Earth, too, but we don't really see any of it. Like, it's not like the first Cloverfield where there's dramatic explosions in the distance as they're running away. Like, that was really right. cool in the first Cloverfield. And this is just like, yeah. man, what's going on down here? These things, man, we don't know how to stop them, yet we never see it. And then the, right. the, this guy picks up a kid, takes him to a shelter, and just sits around for the rest of the movie. That's pretty much it. He talks to his buddy on the phone. Yeah, it's <laughs> terrible. It's 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 lazy filmmaking, is what it is. Oh, for sure. And then the yeah. movie, and then the movie ends where they're coming down to Earth, and it's like, D- tell them not to come back. Tell them not, to, not come to come back. Tell them not to come back. And then they, and the the space shut pod falls to the clouds, and then the Cloverfield monster jumps out. 
And they and the, and then we see where the CGI budget for this film went. Because <laughs> like oh, the Cloverfield God. monster looked good. It did. No, they did a good job. Good looking Cloverfield monster. Like, yeah. It was like ah, cool CGI. <laughs> Uh, just just disappointing. It's, just yeah, I think that's that's just the 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 theme for this movie was just disappointment. So if you if you watch the movie and you think, huh, some of this stuff looks like it was added on later, it's because it was. It was. It definitely was. Because what J.J. Abrams has decided, because Bad Robot is his production company, they make these movies. What J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot have decided is that instead of writing new and original stories to, for the Cloverfield universe. Instead, they find other scripts and other projects that may not have a chance of getting made and then tweak them for the Cloverfield universe. And boy, does little, it show. It's, it's, it's JJ's own little JJ's green light. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you it's, know? it's his project green light where it's like, okay, I'll buy your script, but you're going to have to write it to fit in my Cloverfield. <laughs> it's oh, just, God. I don't, it's not good because no. it shows. 10 Cloverfield Lane is awesome and in the end isn't terrible but the end you can tell oh they put this on at the end to make it fit into the cloverfield universe this movie though what makes it so bad is the stuff in space doesn't really make sense but if they had just released this movie as the universe hopping space movie it would have been decent you know would have been confusing it, it would have made that much sense but you know they might have been able to salvage it My, what, what i worry is what they decided to do was they cut out all the parts where the space stuff makes sense and replaced it with the Cloverfield stuff. Well, that's what I noticed is the beginning of this movie. There's a lot of shots where they're talking and and probably saying important dialogue to the story and to explaining what's going on. And it, it, it's like it doesn't matter because yeah. they play music over it and, and they're mumbling, they're talking over each other. You can't understand what they're saying. They got this movie, and whoever directed it was like, ah, whatever, we don't need to hear all that space jogging. Let's just show them the action. The other thing that happened is this movie, the story, it's... We, we, we reviewed the movie, but I think what's more important to talk about is this movie opens up the door for other studios to say, not, not necessarily they're bad movies, but the movies they don't think are going to do so hot, and put them on Netflix instead. Blade Runner 2049 would have been really smart to put that on Netflix. Sell that movie to Netflix for, it costs you 150 to make it, so sell that movie to Netflix for 160, 170 million, you make your profit, and then it's on Netflix and everyone's gonna watch it and love it. Uh, exactly. The Nice Guys, which is an awesome, awesome movie, made no mm -hmm. money, would have been great for Netflix. The Lonely Island movie, pop star, never stop, never stopping. Yeah. Perfect for Netflix. Tiny Would little budget. for Netflix. Tiny budget, hysterical movie, those kinds of movies. But, of course, every studio thinks they have a winner. So if they have a good movie that they think is going to do well, like The Nice Guys or Popstar, they're going to put it in theaters and think it'll make money. And what sucks is yeah. not all audiences have not always shown they make the right decisions. And sometimes nope. they go see Jumanji seven times instead of seeing Blade Runner. Yeah. I'm sorry. You saw Jumanji that many times? Really? <laughs> really? Jumanji has made four times more money than Blade Runner did, Michael. I only saw Jumanji once, Samuel. <laughs> I don't know why people like Jumanji so much. It's not good. It was an okay movie. But Blade and Runner it... is a great movie. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, it's okay. Hey, hey, listen. It's gonna be alright. I know, I know, I know. They just don't <laughs> get it, man. They don't get it, you know? Yeah. 
You and I, we we get it. But what's so what's probably going to happen is uh, the studios they're not going to take their good movies that won't make money. They're going to take their their mediocre movies that they're not feeling so hot about and see if Netflix wants it. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't think Netflix should it's take nice. them. I, I'm glad that that door is open now. I just don't and... think that Netflix should take them up on that offer, though, because Netflix, they sort of blew their load, you know? You can't, yeah. like, let's say, what's the, 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 the next most watched broadcast is the Oscars. So let's say they buy another mediocre movie, or let's say they, they actually they buy a great movie from another studio. During the Oscars, now on Netflix, and it drops. Mm. People yeah, who, people are going to be less pe- excited. People who saw Cloverfield, yeah. People who saw Cloverfield after the Super Bowl are going to be like, I don't want to watch another one of those movies. Yeah, they can't do this again. No. I would rather they make an original great movie and surprise drop it. Right, exactly. But yeah, uh, I don't know. It's it's it was rough. Yeah, it's a it's. Yeah. Don't watch Cloverfield Paradox. You, you don't need to. I actually don't <laughs> recommend it to people. It doesn't explain anything. The story it's, of it's... how this movie got made and how it got its way to Netflix that is more interesting. That's the better part of this movie. Yeah. That's, I'd like to see a movie about that. Yeah, all the business <laughs> all the business stuff I read about this movie is the more interesting. Well, well shall we get shall we get into the good review or the review of the good Netflix thing? Yes, Devil Man Cry Baby. Oh man. Yeah, so we we talked about the first episode of this uh last time. Uh, mm. But just to say again, so Netflix they started licensing anime shows. They're still going to be licensing anime, but since Netflix runs their entire business off of analytics and statistics, what's gonna the reason they're licensing anime is because the anime they had licensed beforehand, like Full Metal Alchemist, people watched it a lot. So they're like, oh, let's exclusively license more anime now. Mm-hmm. So that's been their business model, and then that had they had some success. Ugh, they had some success with that. So now what they're going to do is make their own anime. Actually, give a studio money. To make anime yep. for them. So, yeah, uh, Devilman Crybaby, this is the first anime that Netflix has uh, made just for them. Boy, oh boy, is it very, it's very good. Oh, yeah. It this really is, is. This is stupendous. Like, this is the Netflix yeah. model applied to anime, which is they just found some Japanese guys like, I have a really great story to tell. Okay, how much money do you need? Go make it. <laughs> exactly. It's, yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, man, I just, I was watching that final episode those last two episodes and i just was like wow like i literally verbally out loud just go wow i was like this is really good and <laughs> just like they really did a good job with this in yeah and telling and telling the story and and creating this world and and these these rules of of devils and all of that and stuff it is great yeah. i love it it's not a very plotty anime no. like uh one of my favorite shows still uh, i think i'm gonna make you watch it but full metal alchemist brotherhood is probably my okay. favorite anime that is all about the plot and the story and it's a great story great character what this is about is it it's just very bare bones it has a story to tell certainly but it's just it's really just about the character and the art and the themes for sure and the story is secondary like apparently in that that last episode, fifty years go by. I here's the thing: is I I I sensed that I was like, I feel like time passed, but they didn't say anything. Yeah, and I it. I need to watch. So I was like, I need to watch it again. But go through what what is it that you liked about this? About it, tell me. I would say I would start off by saying that you know I th- I think that I mean Samuel, you definitely have the mo- the more experience. I think in in anime in this genre. 
Um, so I don't really have much to compare it to. I mean, I, I've seen the first season of Attack on Titan, and you know, I, I watched American anime like Avatar: The Last Airbender and whatnot. Yeah, you know, Dragon Ball Z. Uh, Dragon Ball Z is Japanese. Yeah, but like I watched the American version. I, I'm saying when I say American anime, I mean like the anime that America is familiar with that they you know are like, oh, that's anime. Yeah, you know, Avatar also um, is anime. Avatar is American. Little known, yeah. little known fact. Avatar is 100 percent American, but it is certainly inspired by anime. The thing that stood out the most to me about this was was probably like you said, just the characters and the way that they um develop the way that the that their arcs work and just the the conflicting morals between all of them and and their relationships and it it just really is what what drives the the story or drives the um the show in general i would say um and you know on top of that just the visuals are are stunning i mean the opening sequence of the first episode is is beautiful that final God, that final that just the entire last episode is just art. Yeah, just just beautiful. Um, yeah, like I, I really there, there's not much more to say but just praise for what they did with this. I mean, mm-hmm. I I loved it. It was great. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too into spoilers for it because I really do want people to watch this to watch this show. Mm-hmm. But I I can't recommend this enough for people. I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a starter anime. Like if you want to get into anime, it's right. not it's not where you start. It this is yes it is anime, but it is it is told very differently from most of the very popular shows right in the genre. Like uh sh- uh shonen is, you know, your action series, that kind of stuff like mm. your your attacks on Titan, your Full Metal Alchemist, your Soul Eater, Hero yeah. Academia. Those are one the, piece yeah yeah one piece naruto naruto those are your yeah. your starter shows right and a lot of them are good some not so much but some are just super solid uh um this this is something you can recommend to people who would who appreciate art for sure like yeah. i want i want you to start watching more anime and like maybe i'll start watching things or listening to things you want me to if we want to do that kind of trade off but yeah, you. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Yeah, we can do something like that. But this is not. Yeah, if you want to get into the genre of anime, don't and you watch Devilman. Don't expect more things like Devilman. This is no. very, very unique. It's, yeah, it's and that's why this I love it. This is the it. unicorn of of anime. Yeah, this is very. It it is special and it's it's it's, its own thing. I've been watching. I'm not like a weeaboo who subscribes to all the anime services and watches everything and not like that it's it's on the fringe and i i recommend you watch it just to appreciate the art the art of it and everything else uh all the, like i i recommend people get into anime but you don't get into it for devil man devil man is a little treat uh so yeah. there's yeah there's that that's that's devil man crybaby yeah just it's it's emotional it's beautiful oh yeah there's some episode nine has a moment too that uh oh god yeah. Just kills you. Yeah. Just like I was so upset. <laughs> and I think I think I tuned out for the last episode. I think I need to watch that again. I might have been on my phone or something, but yeah, I need to rewatch the last episode too. But it, th- th- big big thumbs up. And again, oh yeah, drop the first episode on your friends just to see what they think of the of that. Last oh scene. yeah, God, wow, <laughs> that first episode. I I um I was showing it to Hayden. Uh, my roommate yesterday and, oh, and God. He, 
he like here's the thing is like Hayden though is like is probably more of a weeboo than than you I would say um maybe a little bit less but definitely more than me so Hayden Hayden didn't really quite get the reaction that I was hoping for but while we were watching that scene Pat comes and Pat walks in <laughs> and he goes ah oh, Devilman and we were like yeah and then he sees just like one of the one of the moments in that last scene of the first episode and it's just like holy shit like i need to watch this oh yeah for sure that is the scene Uh, that will let you know if you if you want to keep watching the show oh yeah the first episode is very like interesting slice of life kind of cutesy then the last Mm -hmm. scene happens and that's where you know if you want to keep going if that last scene happens and you're not bought in don't watch it it's fine i'm glad you gave it the shot i think that's all the things we talked about everything We, we actually talked about everything we wanted to talk about we did it. In the same amount of time as we did the first time we recorded this. <laughs> All right. Decompression. It was worth it, Samuel. Decompression. Michael, I want to Yo. talk about sneakers. You want to talk about sneakers, Samuel? I've gotten so... I feel so... like that's all you want to talk about now is, is, is sneakers. I, I, I feel got... like every, every Snapchat I get or, or Instagram message I get is you asking me to... To tell you which sneakers to buy. Do you want me to stop? You can. I mean, listen. You live your life, but but. It, do, you, do you want me to stop? You no, know, I just. I'm just curious about what what your what your recent obsession with sneakers has stemmed listen, from. Listen, I just needed new sneakers, and I wanted to get the most comfortable ones. Okay. Okay. And I wanted to make. You sure just wanted to make sure that have the you had the best sneakers. I did a lot of research because I like doing a lot of research on things, man. Okay. Yeah, sure. I promise I'm not buying tons of sneakers. I do not have the resources for that. I need to buy food. Okay, fair. I bought two pairs of sneakers because I walk dogs now. I need comfortable right. sneakers to walk in. That's for the, sure. And I wanted to make sure they looked good, and I wanted to make sure that they uh, were comfortable. That's that's why. However, when you do research into these kinds of sneakers. You learn a lot about the sneakerhead culture. Oh, for sure. It is mind-boggling. Yeah, it's some crazy stuff. Like, listen. Yeah. There's some. Have you have you gotten into like the the services and the ways that people like buy sneakers and stuff? Yeah. So like, yeah, I've 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 gotten. It's crazy. Yeah. It's 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 insane. <laughs> what I thought was, oh, Air Jordan sneakers are four hundred dollar sneakers. They're not actually. People people travel for these sneakers, Samuel. I know. Like, I know. It's insane. Yeah. So. My whole thought was like, oh, Air Jordans and Yeezys and all that, they're $400 sneakers retail and they sell for a lot of money and it's ridiculous. That's not the case at all. From what I found is every single pair of quote-unquote sneakerhead high-end sneakers costs between $150 and $250 at retail. So, like, that's about at the ceiling of what most people would pay for sneakers. Right. Like, if I tell you here's these sneakers cost $180, you're like, oh, that's a lot, but... If they're comfortable, they're worth it. Yeah, I think the Yeezys are like the one exception, no, but not not the not the um not the the three seven twenties the or not the three fifties the seven twenties. Yeah, I think we're I think they retailed for like three fifty. Yeah, so sure. like some, something like that. But most most yeah. of these really sought after sneakers retail aren't unreasonable. They're expensive, certainly, but they're right. not what I thought they were going to be. What happens is Adidas or Nike they say, hey, here's this new pair of sneakers. Uh. They cost $200. They go on sale on this day. They have however many they have. They basically sell out within an hour. And uh, then they immediately go on sale. And if you want to get these sneakers, you have to go to a consignment store, which is 
these stores in New York, which specialize in buying up expensive sneakers and selling them at a ridiculous markup. Yep. So Yeezys. There's also social media like sellers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. There's services and apps that you can get where you can talk to other sneaker heads and, and make yeah. trades. Or So or, like the, the original yeah, Yeezys, they sold for $200. Again, expensive but not ridiculous. And right. you can get those Yeezys now for $1,000. However, right. the more recent – the other thing I've learned is all the sneaker brands, Adidas, Nike, they've started increasing volume of some of their sneakers more. So they still resell for more than you bought them for, but not as nearly as much, which has made the collectors right. really mad because now their collections aren't going to be worth as much for the future shoes they buy. Right. But it's made people like me happy because it's like, oh, I can get cool sneakers now. Like exactly. the most recent Yeezy drop, uh, they retailed for 200 again, but instead of selling for 500 or 1000 they sold for 240 or 300 or $400. Right. Still mm-hmm. more money than you should spend on sneakers. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought for a moment I could become a sneakerhead, but also no. Sneakers, Michael, they're a lot like Bitcoin. Really hyped up yeah. at the beginning, I mean, but now not so much. Here's the thing is, like, I like to just keep in keep in the loop with, with fashion in general. And so, like, sneakers sort of come yeah. into that, you know, just as as a default. Um, so I, I would consider myself a, a social sneakerhead, but not a practical one because – I don't buy. Listen, I tear up shoes very easily. Yeah, big feet. You know feet. this, like Samuel. You you've seen you've seen yeah. my shoes well, before. They they well, fall not apart. Particularly, I wear them until I can't. Not particularly anymore. well put together. Like I think if I think it's also you have wide feet. Oh, like, for if sure. You get yeah, and I also I also skateboard, so I I tear up my shoes that way. And everything, I mean, the way you so, do is like yeah. you just have vans for skateboarding, and then other sneak. You require multiple pairs of shoes, but I think if you bought some wide foot shoes, they'd last a lot longer for you. Yeah, but they don't make good looking wide foot shoes. That is a Samuel. fair thing to say. If people yeah. want to know, uh, I bought I bought two pairs of Adidas Ultra Boost. I bought the I bought a I bought a pair of original flavor Ultra Boosts and a pair of laceless nice. Ultra Boosts. Great shoes, highly recommend. Yeah. Oh yeah. What? For sure, great shoes. I've, I've a lot of people. Yeah, like very those. comfortable. Uh, the Ultra Boost has like a sock-like knit to it. I ve- highly recommend if you mm-hmm. have the money, or if you want just like comfortable shoes to run in, Ultra Boost. Go get them, but yeah. don't buy pairs on Maybe. market. Buy them at retail. No one should pay more. I don't understand why people would pay a thousand dollars for a sneaker. I don't. You should never. You should never pay more than two hundred dollars. Yeah, for, and like two hundred dollars is the roof. Really, you should pay. Exactly. You should pay less than a hundred dollars for shoes. However, I have special circumstances. You know, you know what I've been in the market you, for recently, been in the market Samuel. For recently, since 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 I am a New Yorker mm-hmm. now, you know, I need a good pair of Tims. I think. What are Tims? You know, you don't Tim Timberlands. Oh, oh, the boots. Yeah, you, know, you don't know. Yep. Oh, <laughs> the 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 landmark uh, New York uh-huh. shoe. Go. Um, I want a pair of black ones it. though. Triple blacks. I feel like that'd be great. Yeah, just like all yeah. black. I feel like that'd be nice. Okay. Well, I'm sorry, Michael. I'm I'm sorry yeah. for bothering you and for, it's okay. for wanting to Listen, buy hey, colored I, shoes. I, it's what I'm here for. Like you said, I'm your most honest friend. Yeah. So, you know, it's, <laughs> you got you to gotta go I to somebody. I promise I won't ask for advice because I've already bought the shoes that I'm going to wear for at least the next year or more. Depends on how fast they wear down. I walk mm-hmm. a lot, so I might be buying shoes uh, more recently. I don't know. The next pair of shoes I buy yeah. is going to be... The Adidas Ultra Boost 5.0, when that comes out in triple black, because 
I like triple Ooh. black shoes. Triple I could have bought nice. the 4.0s and triple yeah. black yesterday, but again, I already own a pair of 4.0s. I don't need shoes. I think that's another reason why I don't buy expensive shoes is because if I do... You're worried like, you won't stop? I feel... Well, that and also like I don't know. I feel like I'll need I'll feel the need to keep them clean, and I just can't keep shoes mm-hmm. clean, no matter well, how like, hard I try. You have an, like I I got some mud on my boosts, and I just take a, a hose and I hose them down and let them dry off, but which yeah. is fine. But I live in New York where there's actual yeah. shit on the. I mean, I street, bought a pair you know? specific. I bought a so... pair specifically for rainy days from a different brand. I need yeah. waterproof walking shoes for muddy days, so I don't need to get mud on my ultra boosts, and those are. Not two hundred dollars shoes there. Less than that. See, like if we have a if we have a, a slushy day out here, there's there's no question of what shoes I'm wearing. I'm wearing my duck boots. <laughs> yeah, because I'm not getting anything else on any of my other shoes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can. That's what the duck boots are for. Yeah, like I bought. I was I was I realized. Oh yeah, ultra boots. They're not waterproof at all, and I don't want to get them caked no. in mud. So it's like, oh, this is for dusty days. Because I, you know, Michael, I work at a summer camp. Oop. I may, I might have told you. I think I think you did. I I bought a pair of shoes like this is for dusty days, which is nor- and then I bought muddy day shoes just because I take care yeah. of my things. That's Smart. been my obsession, and it's and it's only the obsession because I I needed to buy the right thing. Right, <laughs> I ne- I needed to make sure I had the best. Well, uh, I think it's time to end the show. Time to end and, end it, and we want to end on a high note. Black Panthers next week, baby. Oh my god, we I'm, so hyped. We're so excited. I'm seeing it Thursday I, night. I don't. Have you ever been more hyped for a movie? Yes. What what movie would you say? The first Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Okay. Uh, yeah. But I I, w- I would say this is very 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 close second. Yeah. This is almost rivaling. That's certainly the most excitement I've had going into a movie and then it yeah. died down slowly to the point where I'm like, "Eh, it's fine." Yeah. I hope it sort of just decayed yeah. over time. I'm trying to be <laughs> but yeah, I'm seeing Black Panther Thursday night. Uh I know you're going to try to movie pass it. Yeah. But I think what we're going to do is uh is uh Pat has class early that day, and I think we're just gonna meet and walk to the theater on his way to class, mm-hmm. and try to get uh try to go ahead and get our tickets for the for the midnight showing for the midnight showing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because the seven p.m. is gonna be sold out. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, what I try it'll to be pre-order sold out already for sure. Yeah, what I try to do is uh I what you call it I. I bought the the Dolby Cinema at AMC, like the AMC's best screening experience. Mm-hmm. I bought a ticket for that because, like, you know, if I, the first time I see a movie, I want to see it big screen, great sound, all that. And then the right. rest of the time, I'll go to the theater that's close to my house where I can use my movie pass for my rewatches. Right. Uh, before Michael does a thing, uh, I just want to give an update. Uh, this guy Ben Shapiro, he's one of these alt light people, who not mm. really alt right because he's a Jew. And uh, the alt right doesn't like Jews, but you know he yeah. he aligns with them in other places. So he's okay. trying to downplay the importance of Black Panther. Like he retweeted a New York Times story where the headline mm-hmm. was part of the appeal of Wakanda is that it was never ca- colonized. And then he said Wakanda isn't a real place, which is missing the point. <sighs> yeah, it's it's the fantasy. Like as a Jew, I think it's very powerful that Magneto is a Holocaust survivor who uses who used his powers to kill Nazis. But I'm not going to say yeah. Magneto wasn't a real person because that's right. stupid. That's not what it's at. That's not we, – we don't go to, to superhero movies to see real things. The point is it's about the fantasy <laughs> and the representation. Exactly. Magneto is Jewish wish fulfillment. That's what Black Panther exactly. and Wakanda is. Boom. It is black wish fulfillment. Anywho. Do we have, do we have Jamaican superheroes? I imagine they exist. 
I'm sure there's a couple. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't – I'll have to look into it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so it, yeah. it's just it's just what I said. There's going – the alt-right and the racists, they're going to try to downplay the importance of this movie. And of course. The, the way you prove them it's wrong – It's their job. The way you prove them wrong is you see it. And I right. had Michael – Michael put on his social media. It's like he got emotional talking to his mom and sister about Black Panther. So I asked him to take those thoughts and write them down. Michael's going to mm-hmm. do that now. And then that's going to be the end of the episode. Yeah. So, uh, so um, I'll leave it to you, my friend. I'll, I'll do a little bit of intro. Uh, so the other the other day I went and saw um, The Darkest Hour. Um, and uh, great movie. So I enjoyed it. Uh, and then afterwards I talked to uh, – had a phone call, phone conversation with my mom my sister. And uh, the topic of Black Panther came up. I was expressing my excitement and everything and just got to talking about – the actual importance of this film and it 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 brought legitimate tears to my eyes um just talking about it um and so uh i made a little post about that and samuel reached out to me and was like hey would you want to write a short piece for for the podcast just sort of you know putting putting those those emotions into words and uh i took him up on the on the opportunity and um this is what i got <clears throat> As a kid, I was always aware of my culture and where I came from. I have my parents to thank for that. My mother was always open about our German, Scottish, and Native American heritage, and my father was always loud and proud about our Jamaican and Portuguese genes. However, because of the way I look, it was always an easier option to hide that part of myself. I could always just sit in silence as I was referred to as a cracker or white boy. But my youthful confidence and my parents' passed-down pride gave me the strength and confidence to stand up for myself, and in most cases, confuse the crap out of school bus bullies. Because of my visual appearance, my heritage and culture was always a choice, a label that I could either brandish or hide. Simply by remaining quiet, it was something I could control. This is a privilege that my eight-year-old sister will never be able to experience. Unfortunately, my sister cannot hide her label, because one look at her beautiful brown skin and the average person will pin her as black. And while my ancestry is something dictated by my own word, my sister's is not. My identity is moldable, but my sister's is not. I could go to movies and play video games that featured white characters that I could associate myself and sympathize with, even though they did not share my mixed heritage, because I still looked like them and they looked like me. My sister, however after eight years on this earth, has never seen a superhero movie with main characters that she could see herself in. Until now. Even though the movie doesn't come out for another week, Black Panther has already evolved into more than just another superhero blockbuster. It has become a beacon and a historical presentation of black excellence. This movie is the stuff of my sisters and others who look like her's dreams. Strong, powerful, and noble characters that look like she does. Cultural and ethnic representation works like a mirror. When you see a character on screen that looks like you, it's almost impossible to not see yourself in them. For centuries, children of color have been restricted to mirror images of villains and criminals and characters who stand back and to the left of their white leading hero, only there for the purpose of supporting the narrative of their white protagonist. But now, thanks to the work of real-life heroes like Ryan Coogler and J.R. Cole, the writers of Black Panther, 
My sister and other boys and girls of color can finally look in the mirror and see themselves as the ones who stand in front as the heroes and protagonists of their own story. Brown girls and brown boys can finally walk down toy aisles and see warriors and kings and queens, heroes, that look like they do. And it is because of this, and for the sake of my sister and these children, that I will do my absolute best to support the movie Black Panther. Because, in my opinion, it is about damn time that, the people, who, that people who look like me step back and to the left to make way for a hero who doesn't look like us. Thank you. That's it for the show, everybody. See you next week.